how you get a mortgage, what type of health insurance you qualify for, or what school your child gets into is based on how data statistics are interpreted. In the past five years, the field of data science skyrocketed in the United States, from 1,700 jobs in 2016 to more than 10,000 jobs in 2021. But black scientists, scholars, and researchers make up only 3% of the professionals who interpret data and analytics. Let's dig into it. Welcome to HUDU, the podcast where we bring today's important topics and stories from Howard University right to you. I'm Frank Tramble, today's host, and I'm here with Dr. William Sutherland, professor of biochemistry and molecular biology and principal investigator of the HU Research Centers for Minorities Institutes program and interim director of the new Center of Applied Data Science and Analytics at Howard. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Sutherland. How are you doing? Very well. Pleased to be here. All right. All right. Let's start off. Why is it important for diversity to be something inside of data and analytics? Well, people often say that the numbers speak for themselves. Why is it important to have diversity in the interpretation and the analysis? And it is true the numbers do speak, but it's not necessarily accurate that they speak for themselves. Because when you say that numbers speak, what you're really saying is that numbers convey information. Mm -hmm. And in order for the numbers to convey information, the information has to be extracted from those numbers mm -hmm. via analysis. And that's really uh, an important aspect of data science. Uh, let me give you an e example. Suppose there's a financial services company, and that company has two data scientists. And the role of those data scientists is to help the company make decisions on who's a good lending risk, the credit uh, worthiness of, of their clients. Those individuals will factor into their algorithm their own inherent biases. Mm -hmm. And their biases is really a reflection of their accumulated life experiences of what I call their experiential DNA. For example, one data scientist can say, well, I believe if you are a homeowner, live in a certain neighborhood, then you are likely to be a good credit risk because of your zip code, basically. Another data scientist can look at the same data and say, well, there are reasons, there are historical reasons why some people may not live in that space or, or may not live in that zip code. So when the first data scientist would analyze that, he or she would say, in their algorithm, they would give extra weight to the zip code, for example. Mm -hmm. And, and that would influence the uh, recommendation. Mm -hmm. Whereas the second data scientist, she would realize that the zip code a person is, is living at right now, there are some historical reasons why it's been more difficult for some people to live in that zip code than others. And then as a result, she would give less weight mm -hmm. to those criteria. So that you got two data scientists looking at the same data really would make different recommendations to the financial services mm -hmm. company. So those numbers are speaking, but they're saying different things based on the experiential DNA of what I call it, uh, the data scientists. Mm -hmm. And that makes so much sense. I think numbers without context is, is the important part. Exactly. Right there. exactly. You know, there's, there's a stat once upon a time in the marketing world, when you read emails, uh, you can look at open rates, right? Yeah. And the open rates would tell you who actually read the email. Yeah. Um, and open rates at Howard uh, for our student emails is extremely high, 65%. Now, 
I have yet to meet a student on this campus that actually tells me they've read an email that you sent. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know who these 65% are because the numbers tell me that it's 65%, but they're not actually reading. So there's right, more right. to the story in that space. Context is important. Yeah. So, you know, would you would you say that this is also, you know, we talked a little bit about in the beginning about a mortgage and appraisals. One of the things that is constantly talked about in terms of difficulty with homeownership in the black community is the fact that appraisals are significantly lower when the appraisers are, you know, of white people that look, go in and actually, you know, do that work. And yeah. I believe that population of black appraisals are appraisers, I should say, are probably lower than 3% um, yeah. inside of that population yeah. too. Would you say that that's another example of kind of how the numbers and, and diversity matter of who's interpreting the data? Absolutely. Be- because keep in mind, data scientists are people mm-hmm. and people walk around with their inherent biases. And so if I'm an appraiser going to a predominantly white neighborhood, nice homes, I will have an inherent bias that these homes you know, uh, uh, in a better location, they're in a better school district, and they may be valued more. And and so so, if that same person goes into a predominantly black neighborhood, there may be questions about well, where are the nearby schools? Uh, are the schools really good schools for my clients' kids? And all and all that. So so all that bias comes in. And the reason this is so important is is because a lot of the bias that winds up in algorithms. They're not necessarily there intentionally. It's almost like an inadvertent inclusion. The way I look at it sometimes is that in order to build an, an algorithms, there is two components of information that goes in. One aspect goes in by active in- inclusion. That's the technical specifications. And then the other inclusion is based on passive. Mm-hmm. And the passive inclusion is, is, is really uh, those biases that we carry that we may be building into an algorithm without even knowing it, without even thinking about it. People are becoming to be sensitive to that now. And because of that, you know, there are a lot of sensitivity training, bias training to get people more averse to this. Mm-hmm. But the best way, I think, is to change the nature of the data science workforce. Mm-hmm. For example, someone that looks like me will already have an appreciation for, for the very neighborhoods that uh, you uh, speak about mm-hmm. and, and, and the importance of, of mortgages and the fairness of, of, of the mortgages, in fact. Yeah. So now that I guess the traditional sense of what data science is, you know, was a math kind of focus, right? It seems like it's kind of shifted to be a little bit more social science focused in that space now. Can you talk a little bit about where are the other areas that data science may be applied, like maybe journalism or political science, or what are the other areas outside of just the math of it that this arena really falls into now? First, let me say that the math and computer science they remain perennial important components of data science. The, mm-hmm. Those are, are the working of the tools. But let me step back from that and just share with you the way I look at data science. I think about data science this way. Anything that you do that can extract useful information from raw data, that's data science. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so from that perspective, data science can take on the aura of a process and get people to realize that it's not just sequestered or fenced off with a few disciplines, but it impacts a a wide range of uh, people and activities. For example, journalists typically report a story of what happened and so forth. But now, with the complexity of events, then that just was a natural entree for the inclusion of data. 
to help explain the events and help really categorize the impact. For example, if there's a train derailment somewhere, a journalist can report that out. But at the same time, inclusion of data can really give more depth of granularity with the impact by talking about, you know, uh, how many people were involved, how many businesses were impacted, how many homes were impacted. And that comes with inclusion of data with the initial story. Mm-hmm. Now, you can even expand out on, on that. For example, that's an event in one locale. But you can expand out on that and say, now, if you multiply that locale against all the derailments around the country in a certain time frame, then that would give you a national perspective. And the way certain stories in newspapers are, are now, you can have a map, for example, mm-hmm. pinpoint the locations. And the map can actually be interactive. So if you click on, on a particular location, then that brings to your fingertips all the data associated with that particular location, the uh, event, the, the uh, people impacted, and so forth. And also, when you analyze that data, journalism can also have a predictive impact. For example, by careful analysis of data, journalists can begin to predict where the next event might happen or how severe the next event might be. And that can be important because that can be informative now to decision makers by studying the data from one story and see what went wrong there. Journalists then can make predictions or make recommendations about what the company needs to do to prevent that next time around. Should the cars be reinforced more to prevent uh, toxic material leaking out? Or should it be, what's the ratio then of uh, staff to the number of cars and all that? So data has a, has a big role to play in, in journalism. Now, for example, I've also thought about the role of data in politics, political science. And we are entering the political season now. What you're really seeing there is data science in action in real time. Because what the pollsters do is really get opinion data from a small group of people, and they project that data on what the opinion would be on a large group. They want to know who the front runner is, who the front runner will be, who the front runner should be, and all that kind of stuff. And on actually election night, the data analysis is even more intense. Mm-hmm. But because networks invest a lot of money, time, and resources in being able to predict accurately and rapidly who the winner will be before all the votes are counted. Mm-hmm. And that's just hardcore data science there. Mm-hmm. One other point I make about in the political arena is that, for example, policies, the impact of policies on citizens, that is also guided by analysis of data as well. I mean, for example, if you look at the way police interact with black men, mm-hmm. that's really guided by local policies and for the local jurisdictions. And so you could have data that would suggest, well, in this locale, there's been an increase in arrests uh, in the last three years by 20%. Now, if I'm a data scientist, I want to investigate that so I can make recommendations to the decision makers. Mm-hmm. And depending on my experiential DNA, I will go out and canvas people who I am comfortable with. All right? Mm-hmm. And so one data scientist will go out and canvas people, and he will come back with information saying that, look, the people in the neighborhood, they feel much safer when they're in their homes. They feel much safer walking down the street, going to the store. So this policy, while it may be tough, but it is working, it's really serving the people. Mm-hmm. 
another data science and look at the same 20% increase in rate and come over and say, and would interact with the people that she is, is comfortable with and say, during that same period of time, when you had the same increase, there has been a 10% increase in them of black men being shot by police mm-hmm. or, or killed by police. And she would come back, back and say, this policy is causing too much trauma among black families. So my recommendation would be that this policy should be modified, discontinued, or replaced. So you got two data scientists looking at the same data, coming away with different recommendations. And the recommendation is based on their biases that they carry. Mm-hmm. So, so, and those are fairly real circumstances or recommendations that's really fairly current, as you, as yeah. you know. So, and I think that you make such great points, especially because it means that we need more people in the field yeah. that look like you and I to be able to get another perspective on what that data could possibly mean. Yeah. So, you know, university has started, uh, wanted to attract more black scientists, data scientists, I should say. So Howard opened the Center for Applied Science and Analytics. So what are some of the programs that you have there that are going to help us diversify this field? First and foremost, that this fall, fall 2023, we are starting our inaugural class of Masters of Data Science. And so we have gotten uh, 30 students have accepted our offer to be part of that class. And we are very excited about that. We're very excited about the program as well because the program has as this central feature combining data science training with social justice. And, mm-hmm. and that's like a staple of our program. And it is all online. One of the reasons it's online because we want to take advantage of the broad network of Howard alumni who are all around the nation and the world, make sure they had good access to the uh, program. Another feature of the program that we like is that because we're making a special effort to attract non-STEM students, people from psychology, history, English, because we think they will bring a, a certain freshness and new look to the data science. And so what we'd like to see, one of the objectives of the program is to bring in students from a broad discipline and uh, give them excellent first-class data science training, and hopefully then they will go back to their original disciplines where they will serve as agents of what I call data equity. Mm -hmm. So when I say agents of data equity, what am I really saying? These are individuals who have the training and who have the will and the desire and are positioned such that they can influence, if not ensure, that data will be implemented equally and fairly across all segments of society. So we, we want to produce a cadre of Howard University produced data agents of data equity. And that's one of the features of our program. That's great. So is, if you are attracting people who may be coming from more of the social sciences areas, the philosophies and others, what if they don't have as strong math skills? How are you uh, supporting or how's the program supporting people that are, that are transitioning in that space yeah, too? Yeah. Now, first of all, we are making a special effort to get non-STEM students. STEM students are welcome as well. We're not, we're not excluding STEM students. What we have done to make the program uh, more accessible to non-STEM students is that we have a design series of bridge courses that will assume no previous training, no previous background. And we believe that the time they get through these bridge courses, four courses, then they will be at a place of parity then with STEM students and ready to enter the uh, master's program. So we think that that's a, a, good, a good feature. Now, another as- aspect also that uh, the master's program uh, is that I want to mention is that inherent in the program, we have a capstone experience. 
uh, the students will take one semester and we will find them uh, positions in the community where they'll be doing data science with companies, agencies, and where they'll be fulfilling the data science needs of those organizations that they'll be working with to get some real-world experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, as a uh, professor myself, I, and I actually teach the, our capstone course sometimes okay. in, uh, in communications and marketing, I think the, that real-life experience is, is so critical yeah. to rounding out and making sure those skills have stuck and that they know what they're doing. Yeah. So is the master's program the only way that people can engage with uh, the data sciences? No, uh, it's, it's not. I'm also, as you mentioned, the principal investigator of Howard University's Research Centers and Minority Institutions Program. That's funded by NIH. And one aspect of that program is something called the Virtual Applied Data Science Training Institute. Now, what that does, we call it VASTI, that's the acronym. What that does, we offer short eight-week workshops in the fundamentals of data science. We, we offer it to uh, faculty, postdoctoral fellows, researchers, and the idea behind that is to give that cadre of individuals immediate data science skills and know-how that they can incorporate uh, immediately into their research courses. That's been very successful. Right now, we're in our second iteration of, of that. And we are also right now in the process of uh, requesting funds from NIH for our third iteration. We offer not only the how, it's just online, it's virtual. Not only the how, we offer to HBCUs nationally and we even had people from other countries sign up for those courses as well. I love that. Now, now, in the third iteration, we're focusing mostly on undergraduate students because at undergraduate level, students really don't have a lot of exposure to the data science. But we are of the opinion that data science is everywhere. It affects everybody. Hmm. So we want to be proactive and making sure that we equip the Howard undergraduate community and undergraduate communities, HBCUs around the country, to do some data science exposure. Yeah, I love that. And again, that inclusivity, I think, uh, speaks just to, you know, Howard's nature of us trying to expand as many places as we can to do that. So as a data science expert, I have to ask the question, what are the key metrics that you're looking for to know that this program is successful or that the industry is becoming more diverse in ways that that you see fit? What are some of those metrics you look at? Well, for the first metric, as far as the, the program is concerned, we want to see a, a wide array of disciplines coming in. And we want to see people with different interests, different goals, and different expectations that when they leave Howard University program, they will go in different places in society and find their home, their niche. And we want to see a type of student that really appreciates the uniqueness of the Howard University environment. Because we, we believe that being associated with the Howard uh, will create a certain sensitivity of fairness and equity across all segments of society. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to include social justice in, in, into this. We want to see, see people embrace the elements of agents of data equity. Now, this program, the math program is just starting in the fall, so we have to see over time how this works out and how these individuals are placed and the impact they're having. It's early right now for us, but right now our metric is is the kind of people that we're accepting and what they tell us they want to do and how they embrace the philosophy Mm -hmm. of equity and fairness and data. Love it. Final question. What is your message to those listening to this, our listeners who are maybe interested in either doing one of the programs, uh, the short term or the master's program? 
why should they care? You know, what's your final message to them? Why should they care and why should they do this? Data impacts everybody. People from all disciplines, all backgrounds are impacted by data. But not everyone is aware of that. And if you're not aware of it, then you can't take advantage of it. Okay. So my message is that realize whether you are aware of it or not, you are a consumer of data. And if you're not aware of it, then the data you consume is being constructed for you by somebody else. Okay, so that would be my message. Let me just give you one example. I ask the question sometimes, why do food deserts exist? Hmm, okay. That's a good question. So food deserts exist because somebody looked at some data and said, if I put a grocery store in that location, it will fail. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're aware that your neighborhood is being so affected by data, somebody analysis of data, then you can combat that and say, right now in this neighborhood, we all buy grocery. But now we have to travel a long ways to get to the grocery that we uh, purchase. So we all spend money, not only on, on grocery, but getting to and from the grocery store. So we can harness that data and show if that money was spent locally, then maybe it would support a grocery store. So that's an example of how understanding and being aware how data is impacted you. If you understand that, then you can combat that. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand it, if, not, if you're not aware of it, you're not going to uh, impact you. It's just going to say, well, there's no grocery store there, so I got to drive, catch the bus 10 miles to get a cotton of milk. Exactly. You heard it from Dr. Sutherland. Context is key here. We need more black scientists, data scientists that are helping to shape the decisions that are made that affect all of our communities. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, Dr. Sutherland. This is HUDU, the podcast where we bring today's important topics and stories from Howard University right to you. I am Frank Tramble, today's host, and thank you for listening. HU, you know. All right, there we go. <laughs> For more stories from Howard University, visit our award-winning Howard Magazine at magazine.howard.edu and our award-winning news and information hub, The Dig, at thedig.howard.edu.